where Jesus begins his ministry and you see him initially calling people to follow him. We looked at the story of Peter, James, and John who left their nets and followed him. This is about another man who was called to follow Jesus. And as we look into God's word, let's ask for his wisdom. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing we may obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I am enjoying listening to a lot of podcasts. And I recently listened to a podcast where a man was interviewing a woman in ministry, and her name was Deb Hirsch. And she was telling the story of how she came to Christ. She had been involved in the drug scene. And she had taken psychedelic drugs, and those are the ones that really put you on a trip. So she was deep into it. And then she came to Christ and left the drug scene, but now she is involved in ministry in New York City with people who are involved in the drug scene, since that's what she's come out of. And they, of course, people coming out of the drug scene would be, wouldn't you say, kind of on the edge of proper society? probably looked down on by others. And she said that in ministering to people in the drug scene, she takes some criticism, like, why, why are you lowering yourself to minister to them? And this is what she said, and this is a direct quote. She said, one of the indications of your understanding of the Jesus you follow will be reflected by the people who you have around your table. Did you hear that? Your understanding of the Jesus you follow will be reflected by the people that you are welcoming into your life. This is a story in Luke 15 of the kind of people that Jesus welcomed into his life. People who were outcast. He did that in his ministry because that, in summary, is what his ministry is about, to welcome the outcast, right? This is a picture of Jesus eating with one of the bottom rungs of society, the tax collectors and sinners. But this is a picture of his entire work that Jesus came for sinners, not for the righteous. He came to welcome the spiritually outcast. And this has profound implications for us So let's just enjoy the story 
and think about the implications. It says, after this, Jesus went and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, let me just say that we're, this story occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew and Mark, Levi is named Matthew. And the best explanation of that is that, remember, the Gospels were written to Jewish people and to Greeks, so a lot of people had both a Jewish name, Matthew, and a name that's more Greek, Levi, Simon, Peter. So that wasn't unusual. And so I'm going to try to say Levi every time in this sermon. And if you hear me say Matthew, which I probably will, that's why. Because I'm more used to that. Now, Matthew had a profession. He was a tax collector. So he worked for the IRS of his day. But that was a thoroughly despised profession. It was the equivalent of being a sinner. If that's what you did, you automatically were an outcast. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Remember the context. Matthew was Jewish. And the Jewish people were under the domination of whom? The Romans. The Roman Empire, an oppressive, brutal dictatorship. And the Romans collected taxes. Matthew was a Jewish man who worked for the enemy. So he was viewed as a traitor. He made good money as they working for the enemy. You know what it would be like? I've tried an analogy of this might be World War II. Someone is living in France, in Nazi-occupied France, but they're working for the Nazis. Or an American spy selling secrets to the Russians during the Cold War. Basically, they were viewed as a traitor. And they made good money doing it. But in addition, this was a cushy, lucrative job. But almost by definition, you were a thief. Because how did you make your living? You were told to collect this much from Joseph and his family, but you collected this much and you kept the difference. In Later in Luke 19, Jesus has a conversation with the chief tax collector who was named Zacchaeus. He was massively wealthy. Because he not only stole from his own people, but he took graft from other tax collectors as well. So there were massive amounts of money to be made 
probably dishonestly by tax collectors. But not only were they traitors and thieves, if you were a tax collector, who would you hang out with? You would have had the money, but you probably weren't going to be getting a membership down at the Jewish country club in your town. Tax collectors were viewed as outcasts. They were banned from the synagogue. So who would you hang out with? Other tax collectors. They're the only people who would want to be in your company. Birds of a feather flock together. And this is exactly what you see Levi doing. He follows Jesus. And what does he do? He holds a banquet in his home for whom? Other tax collectors. Because now that he had followed Jesus, he now had some good news to share with his friends who were also tax collectors. Nobody else would have wanted to associate with him. So Jesus goes to the feast at Levi's house. There's a feast. His workmates are there. And they're having a grand old time. Because all of these outcasts are interested in the good news. Now, how do you respond to this? Man, that's great, right? I want to join the party too. I want to be part of that welcome. And that's what the religious leaders leaders did, right? Wrong. Here we go again. We've seen it before. Pharisees and teachers of the law start complaining and whining. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you lowering yourself like this? This is absurd. We're not doing that. And I'll be brief, but this is the first of several occasions where you saw this reaction. In Luke 7, you see it particularly in Luke's gospel, where there's a sinful woman who just burst into a home where Jesus is being welcomed by Simon the Pharisee. She pours over Jesus' feet this expensive urn of of nard that was probably worth a year's wages, and she worships him, and Jesus accepts her offering of worship. Simon the Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Why is he lowering himself to be with a sinful woman? Wah, wah, wah. Luke 15 Tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man's welcome sinners and eats with them. And then he goes on and gives the very famous parables of the lost coin, the lost son, how God seeks and welcomes the lost. We love those stories here, that God came for sinners. And Jesus was right in the middle of it. Wah, wah, wah. Why are you doing that? And then when Zacchaeus, as I mentioned before, follows Jesus. He's, ah, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, it seems to me, and I really, I'm so glad the Breslers are here because you've heard stories about the various ways 
They're trying to reach people who are lost. Particularly the pandemic has made people very isolated and needy. We as Christians have so much to offer people who have become isolated, who would be considered outcast, the poor, the disenfranchised. Isn't that right where we ought to be? Exactly. So you would think that the religious leaders of all people would be saying, yeah, we want to be part of that too. But they don't. It's precisely the opposite reaction. Not only are we not going to do it, but we're going to criticize those who do. Why? Well, Jesus puts his finger on it in verse 31. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. Meaning, I have come to call those who know it. Very simple analogy. Uh, Why do you go to the doctor? Now, I hope you go for your well visits regularly to get your physical. But typically, when you run to the doctor, why? Because something's wrong. You have a migraine headache, a persistent backache. You know, my oldest sister, who I've told you about, she lives in Vancouver, Canada. She's healthy as a horse, but she's been in this massive pain for six months, and she can hardly walk. And I email her regularly, and a few months ago, she told me that she literally had to crawl around her house because she got this horrible hip pain. So she went to, and she's got exercise like I do, so... She went to two dollars and couldn't doctors and couldn't figure out what it was. And she finally went to a physical therapist, said, You probably pulled, you know, your SI joint, your sacroiliac, which is massively painful. So finally someone diagnosed what it was. But for about three months, she was running to doctors in the Canadian health system to to try to get this pain stopped. It's the sick who need a doctor. When you think there's something wrong, you run, make an appointment. And that's the point. I haven't come for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Meaning we're all sinners, but those who know they need me are those who know they are spiritually sick. C.S. Lewis always has a great way to put things simply. He says, the Christian gospel tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It has nothing to say, as far as I know, to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who don't feel that they need any forgiveness. What the scriptures would call the self-righteous. 
Because remember, we've talked about the Pharisees a lot. They were the religious leaders. They probably had massive portions of the Old Testament memorized. And it was their goal to follow it in exhaustive detail. But they missed the central point. That all of the scriptures focus on the grace of God, that you're not righteous, there's no one righteous, not one. You've got to leave your righteousness behind to come to know the living God and follow Christ. I haven't come for the healthy, but the sick. Sick, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is said in a very clear way in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, where Jesus is summarizing what the gospel is all about. Very familiar parable of two men. And he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, religious, religious leader, and the other a tax collector. So a religious leader and a dreg of society goes up to the temple to worship. In that culture, who would they think is acceptable? Of course, the religious leader. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Look at all I do. God, aren't you impressed? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the religious leader, went home justified before God, declared righteous, considered righteous. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that story, and the story of the calling of Levi, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Those who think they can earn their righteousness have no need of me, Jesus says. But those who know they don't. And that's Levi, who knew that it wasn't just, see, it wasn't just a matter of having a job as a tax collector. But he came in some way to understand that he 
had not been loving God. More likely, money was the God he worshipped. And when he followed Jesus, he gave that up. Because he understood, the Son of God has come for me. Well, what can we learn from this? There's three things briefly that I'd like to bring out. And the first is simply this, is that you may not be a tax collector and a thief and a traitor. But we are the outcasts that Jesus has called into his kingdom. We, in ourselves, once were alienated from God. And by his grace, God has welcomed you and me into his kingdom. Because Jesus feasting with sinful people is a picture of the gospel. That's why we had read from Revelation 19 at the consummation of all things, the restoration of all things. Revelation 19, hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. I love going to a fancy dinner, don't you? A wedding feast, a celebration, especially if someone else has paid for me to be there. I remember when Katie's parents were alive, every Christmas, they would take us to this amazing Christmas dinner at the Fort Wayne Country Club. It was literally the best feast I've ever been to. We were there as guests of her father, who generously paid for sometimes 20, 30 people to be there. Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has paid for you to be at his feast. And every week in worship, when we come to his table, that is, we look back to his death, but we look forward to that final day of an eternal feast. of people who have been clothed with the fine white linen given by Christ, not earned by us. But it all started in Matthew's house where Jesus is welcoming sinful, outcast, undeserving people to his feast. Colossians 1, remember that at one time, you, particularly talking to Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At the feast, he has prepared and fully paid for. We are the outcasts who've been brought into the feast. Second, briefly, just another question. What do you need to walk away from in repentance? Because it occurred to me, Jesus calls Levi to follow him in repentance. And I began to think, what did Levi leave? What did Levi leave? He left a pretty cushy job, didn't he? Because it occurred to me, remember when Peter, James, and John, the fishermen, followed Jesus. They were fishermen. And I thought, they probably know, well, if this following Jesus thing doesn't work out, we can always go back to fishing. Is Matthew going to get his job back from the Romans? I don't think so. He's leaving a very cushy lifestyle. Not that making a living is wrong, but as you can see, it was probably a thieving lifestyle and there was no way in following Jesus he could stay in that. And you, you may recall that when Zacchaeus, the, the chief tax collector, followed Jesus, in his repentance, this is what he said. He had, he had just spent a lifetime stealing massive amounts of money from people. Massive. He was a massively greedy man. And when he is welcomed by Jesus, with people criticizing, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Meaning, repentance isn't just a change of behavior, but he realized, my God has been my money, and I've spent a life stealing from people because money's what I've wanted. And in following to Jesus, he said, I am going to make restitution what I have stole. I'm going to begin to be generous. Because that is a fruit of the gospel, isn't it? Using your money, not just for yourself, but to be generous to others. And that is what repentance looked like for him. So I just say, think about... As you are following Jesus in repentance, that means having a broken and contrite spirit, which means I haven't loved God with my whole heart. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. What will following Jesus look like for me? What sinful thoughts, behavior do I need to leave? And it will cost you. The Holy Spirit living in us says, put to death the works of the flesh. So what might you need to walk away from? But finally this, following Jesus means that you bring the welcome of Jesus to others. Because notice, Matthew walked away from his greed did he walk away from his friends? No. He threw a party for them, 
so that they might come to know the welcome of Jesus. These outcast people would know the welcome of Jesus in the same way. And just think and pray. What might that look like for you? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I put this in the newsletter. There was a ministry called the Church Without Walls where they did some Muslim training for people here at our church. And they'll be doing it at different places. But I went to that, and a lot of them live in Clarkston. Because as you know, a lot of Muslim refugees first come to Clarkston. And then they tend to move out. And, and you may not know this, but I didn't realize this. The highest concentration of Muslims in Atlanta is Lilburn and Lawrenceville. The neighborhood right across the street, there's a large number. And I was getting to know several people who were involved in the ministry in Clarkston. And they actually go to door and they said, when we knock on the door to talk to some Muslims... We just say hello, and we've been invited in, and we are around their table. Because remember, they tend to be from Afghanistan or India, incredibly hospitable. And they begin to build relationships, because Islam is a very different religion that takes a bit of learning. But, but the one thing, and we visited some people and had a few conversations, a little bit harder in the suburbs because people are more private, but the one thing that Muslims know, they believe in Allah who will bring everyone to judgment one day. And they have a series of five things they do, fasting, prayer, a pilgrimage to Mecca. And one of them said, I've, I've done my best and I, I hope I will make it. All I can do is hope. No assurance. But we had some very gracious conversations with people. And because the nations are here in our backyard. Different religions, different people. So you have a story to tell. What might that look like for you? Think and pray how you might get involved with people who have no interest in church, but they might be interested in something else. I'll finish with this. There's a fairly new couple in our neighborhood, without getting into a pretty rough backgrounds, but they're a couple living together. There's a stepson. And they met at Comic-Con. You know what Comic-Con and Dragon-Con are? It's people go dress up like Darth Vader. And it's, a, it's almost like kind of, a you know, it, comic books and Star Wars. And I'm not really into that so much. But I had a conversation with them last week because I'm interested in movies. Who do you think played the best Batman? Was it Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, Robert Pattinson? They're vastly interested. They won't be coming to church anytime soon. 
I don't think they know any Christians. They don't know what I do yet for a living. Let them know when I have to. But there's an opportunity. I may be the, one of the only ones who can bring them welcome. Really nice people. What might that look like for you? You know people at work, in your neighborhood. That's the place to start. And they'll have very different views, different sexual mores. But that's what we expect. But pray for opportunities for you to bring the welcomes, welcome that you have received from Jesus by his death and resurrection and his welcome to you at his feet. Because I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. Please join with me in prayer.